Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Good morning, family. I am so, so glad to see you back here. I always like these times that we have together. If you don't mind, let's go ahead and pray and get started. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I never take it for granted this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that every person under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. They will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You know, we're going to be reading some scriptures. So before we get into the good book, I always like for us to do our Bible confession. You know how it goes. So let me just read it and you can follow along with me. It says this, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable, it is the truth, it is divine, it is the word of God, and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, last session was our, our Mother's Day service, and we had an opportunity to hear some of our men share some amazing stories about their mothers. Some referred to her as mom, Others called her mother. Some of us more suddenly gentlemen lovingly referred to her as mama. Regardless of the term of endearment though, one thing was clear. Those men appreciated their mothers. I have to tell you though, before that Mother's Day session, Prior to that moment, I had every intention of returning us back to the account of Moses and the burning bush. I had every intention of going back there and continuing to expound on how God desires to utilize you and your history, all of your history, to benefit the kingdom. That really was my plan. However, as I sat in our previous session, and I listened to man after man stand up and talk about their mother. Family, my plan began to change. Each man's willingness to bear part of his soul, that thing moved me. Through their tears, they talked. Through getting choked up, they talked. They told lighthearted stories that made us all laugh they shared heartfelt memories that touched us all and had some grabbing for tissue. Silently at that moment, family, my, my plan was changing. I did not know it when we set up that Mother's Day man talk session that God was preparing to plant a seed in me for this present moment. My every attempt to go back, to dig back into Moses and the burning bush and present that to you, my every attempt was blocked. I soon realized that the Holy Spirit kept redirecting me away from my message, my plan, the word that I had for you, and the Holy Spirit was pushing me towards God's word for you. You know, I am not a big title pastor. 
or guy. And by that, I mean, I typically don't present titles of messages. The message title just kind of works its way into the message and I'm more focused on you getting the point than to kind of wow you with some message title. But today, for this session, God was very specific and wanted me to give you the title up front. Make sure that that title is impressed upon your hearts and your minds right at the onset. God wants me to talk to you in this session from the title, The Small Big Thing. Family, each man who spoke on Mother's Day had a different story. Each man having a different story, that thing doesn't surprise us though, because they're different men of different ages, from different families, with different experiences. Therefore, it just makes sense for all of their stories to be somewhat unique. We probably would have been surprised, no doubt, if it had been the opposite. If every man had told the same story, I think we probably all would have been a bit shocked. Their collective stories did have a commonality, though. There was a common thread that continued to run in and out of each and every account that they told. Each man professed that their life is better because mama was. And I got to tell you, in some cases, in many cases, mama, mama still is but they continue to say, my life is better because mama was. Because mama was what? As they thought back on that thing, they said, mama was the one who gave me life. Mama was the one who introduced me to the faith. Mama was the one who listened to me. She consoled me. Mama was the one who cheered me on. Mama was the one who supported me. Mama was the one who sacrificed for me. This was their position thinking back on their upbringing right now as men. None of them had their current mindset back when they were younger, not back then, not when they were growing up. Paul expressed these words to the Corinthians. He said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 in the Voice Bible. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned in childlike ways, as we all do. But when I became a man, I left my childish ways behind. Those men were growing up. And as they were growing up and coming through different ages and different phases of their life, at some point, they exhibited childlike ways that more than likely challenged their mothers. The words they spoke and the way they spoke them may have challenged her. The thoughts that each man had, those thoughts more than likely resulted in actions that, you know what, challenged their mother. The way he may have reasoned, that may have challenged mom. But each of their moms stood up. They stood up in the face of the challenge and in the most positive way they could think of. And with purpose, determination, mom kept on molding them correcting them, teaching them, 
loving them. Mom somehow kept mustering up the strength and in many respects the courage to do what mom believed she had to do to ensure this day for their sons could be a reality. Each mom rolling up her sleeves and doing what she feels in her heart needs to be done so that her son's day that the son is existing in right now, that better day could be a reality. Furthermore, family, do not walk past a glaring fact. As much of a challenge as each man was to his mother, they were how they were as children. That's, that's the magic of it all. Each man, as they talked about, and some shared in detail, about how much they were just, in some cases, a terror as a child. The glaring fact that we must not walk past is that that young man, those young men, the challenges they, dis they displayed and just showed the rest of the world, those were the challenges with mama's oversight. Imagine their outcome if mama was not there. Imagine their outcome if mama did not put in that rewarding yet often thankless work. Their mothers, those men's mom, their mama, whatever term of endearment they used, their mothers saw the importance of taking care of the small, big thing, their child. When measured by stature or experience or wisdom or any other adult metric, our children may be small compared to us. But as it relates to their impact on the future, our children's importance rival ours. Arguably, they are even a much bigger thing than we are as adults. For sure, they are not less than. Loved ones, our children are the small big thing. And we must put more energy and effort into guiding and caring for them. By the way, this communication is not just for moms. Dads, you gotta stand up and you gotta get in there. Coaches, you gotta stand up and get in there. Mentors, you gotta stand up and get in there. Teachers, you gotta stand up and get in there. Now, I do not wish to leave the impression that dads and coaches and mentors and teachers that guide and care for our children do not exist because they do. What I am stating plainly is as an adult group, we must do more. Our children need our love and attention and newsflash in case you did not get the memo. Our children not only need our love and attention, they want it. This is one of the biggest ways God wants to use us in this earth. It may be true that God wants you to impact the world but it may not be the way you imagine. You imagine God putting you on planes while God wants to keep 
you in a position so you can keep a young person on the right path so that someday he or she will design planes. Oh yeah, our children are the small big thing. Sadly, I've heard people, including believers, let's go ahead and say that too, not just people out there. I've heard people, including believers, comment that our youth are going to hell in a handbasket. Such perspectives result in adults viewing our children through a negative lens. It causes them to lock out of their minds or even lock out of consideration what our children are doing right. They only lock in on what they're doing wrong and become oblivious or blind to what they're doing good or what they're doing right and in the amazing ways they're doing it. Consider this. God once shared with Abraham his plans for destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, upon hearing God's plan, he took the position of bargaining with God. Notice this. Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 through 33. Keep in mind, we're not going to read each one of these items verbatim. We're, we're going to kind of puddle, kind of puddle jump. This is out of the easy to read version. God has already talked to Abraham. He's, he's starting to break it down to him. He's like, you know, Abraham is my guy. I probably should let him in on what I'm going to do. And then God begins to talk to Abraham in verse 17. God is saying to himself, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do now? Once again, upon consideration, he said, let me tell him. Verse 20, God now talking to Abraham, he tells him, I have heard many times that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are very evil. I will go and see if they are as bad as I've heard then I will know for sure. Abraham, he's absorbing this. He's listening. And right here in verse 22, the Bible says, while Abraham stood before the Lord, he began to talk to God. Verse 23, Abraham says, God, will you destroy the good people while you are destroying those who are evil? He's bargaining with God. He's getting ready to put God through a cycle of questions. He's setting up his position. He goes on to say, God, what if there are 50 good people in that city? Would you destroy the city still? And we work down to verse 26. God replies to him, if I find 50 good people in the city of Sodom, I will save, focus on this now, the whole city. God is not saying that I'm just going to save the portion of the city where the good people are. I, if I find 50, will save the whole city. Don't let that get past you. Hold on to that thought. Abraham keeps going. Already gotten, having received the number 50 under his belt. He says in verse 28, well, God, what about if there are five less than 50? Instead of saying 45, he's kind of giving God a, a math problem there. God, we already addressed 50. 
hey, what if there is five less than 50? Of course, God says, you know what? If I find 45, I will save, and we already know what he's talking about, the whole city, not just part of it. Abraham now probably full of confidence, even though the Bible reads as if he's a little timid, but he's already starting to ascertain what he already knew about God, about God's mercy, about how God looks at things, about God's heart. So Abraham goes on. Abraham says, hey, God, tell me this. What if we find or if you find 40? What about 30? What about 20? We get down to verse 32 and Abraham is like, if you find 10 good people there, what will you do? God says, if I find 10 good people in the city, I will not destroy it. Once again, meaning the whole city. Although Abraham stopped at 10. Family, I believe that Abraham could have taken God all the way down to one. The point is, when it comes to people, the existence of any good quality, the existence of any good, the existence of anything worthwhile justifies saving the whole. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. Your child, in your view, I'm talking about your child, the child you gave birth to, the child you adopted, the child that you are in some fashion helping to raise. You may view your child as the world's biggest pain in the rear. But if you can take all of that energy you use to identify their unpleasant qualities and turn it towards identifying the good in them, you will discover a pathway to reach them and save the whole. What am I saying? What is God saying? It's simple. It's direct. Celebrate the good. Your child may get poor grades in math, but good grades in language arts. If that's the case, figure out a way to celebrate that good for the sake of the whole child. The child may have attitude that needs a little work, but they're good in sports. Figure out a way to celebrate that good for the sake of the whole child. They may have character that's not quite where it should be. But man, they're good in fashion. They have a fashion sense out of this world. Figure out a way to celebrate that good for the sake of the whole child. They might be a bit mouthy at times, but that child's hair and makeup is always on point. You figure out a way to celebrate that good for the sake of the whole child. Yeah, it seems like they get in trouble a lot. It seems like they get in trouble all the time. But when they open their mouth to sing, the sound that comes out is the sound of a minstrel straight from heaven. You figure out a way to celebrate that good 
for the sake of the whole child. A little messy around the house, that's possible. Putting things down, not picking things up, that's possible. Not doing their chores that they have been assigned, that's possible. But if you give that child just a pencil and a sketch pad, they will deliver you back a masterpiece. You figure out a way to celebrate that good for the sake of the whole child. Now, I'm not saying that you just throw discipline out the window. The Bible is clear. The Bible says that God corrects those he loves. Those he loves, he chastens. He disciplines. He jacks up. He gives the appropriate parental, if you would, or fatherly adjustments. I am not saying that we throw discipline out the window. But harping on the bad only is a relational recipe for disaster. Let our children hear from us more than what they're doing badly. Celebrate their good too. As a matter of fact, sometimes depending on the season of their lives, you may have to celebrate the good even more. The bottom line is, identify the good qualities in that child and hang on to those good items while God directs you on how to raise them. But I hear you though. You wonder, okay, pastor, outside of the fact that this child is mine and you got to have that lead in because you don't want anyone to mistake the fact that you know that I should at least have some responsible for this child simply because they're mine. You have to get that on the table up front, but pastor outside of the fact that I know, and you know now that I know that this child is mine. Pastor, what if I struggle to find even one good thing? Oh, I hear you. I hear you louder and clearer than you could even realize. Let me tell you, as a parent who's raised three children that are now adults, and I have nearly 10 godchildren, I have three grandchildren, and God willing, I will be able to enjoy even more. I really do hear you talking from a parental standpoint about that feeling that you get that what if I cannot find one good thing feeling? There are some parents that'll tell you that they never get that feeling. Let me tell you about me because I know what you're talking about. You're talking about those moments where you are doing everything that you know how to do. You're working overtime. You're working in a career that you, you don't even like sometimes. You are putting food on the table. You are buying birthday presents and Christmas gifts. You are driving back and forth to football games and volleyball tournaments and taking them to music class and you're, you're taking them to birthday parties and, and you're making sure that they get haircuts and groomed and doing fingernails, depending on if you, if you have a child that's old enough to get those things polished and manicured and you're so blessed to do so. But you're doing all of these things and in some cases doing them at the expense of what you want to do. And in doing all of those things, 
what do you get in return from your, your child? Disrespect, yeah, sometimes. Lip, yeah, sometimes. Just arrogance and attitude, yeah, sometimes. Child can make you so mad sometimes that you wonder for yourself. Somebody convince me again, why is this rascal worth all of this effort? It makes you think it doesn't matter that they're your child. I'm talking about what goes on in your heart when somebody is making you feel as if everything that you're doing, all of your blood, all of your sweat, all of your tears, all of, all of your taking abuse, when somebody makes you feel as if you're doing all of that stuff and they just don't appreciate you. Oh yeah. I have had that very same saddening epiphany. The epiphany that as a loving father, a loving parent, a loving overseer, that the thought can cross your mind. Right now, I am struggling to see any reason why I should keep doing for you what I'm doing. Because everything I see out of you right now, quite frankly, if you want me to talk to you like I would talk to somebody on the street, everything I see out of you right now, I don't like. I struggle to see any good in you. So when you pose me that question, Pastor, what if I struggle to find even one good thing? I may not know your exact feeling, but I have had similar thoughts and similar feelings. To address your question directly though, the question of what if I struggle to find one good thing? My response to you, love them anyway. Hey, God did it for us. Romans 5 conveys this easy to read version Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. Christ died for us when we were unable to help ourselves. We were living against God, but at just the right time, Christ died for us. Very few people will die to save the life of someone else, even if it is for a good person. Someone might be willing to die for an especially good person, but Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And by this, God showed how much he loves us. Do you see the applicable lesson there? God observed no good in mankind, but still deemed them, us, worth his love. Said differently. God does not conclude that the lack of good in a person makes them unlovable. Just because you and your opinion cannot find good in a child, do not deem that child unlovable. Don't do it. They may bring home poor grades, but you deem them 
lovable. Their attitude may be jacked up from the flow up, but you deem them lovable. That child may have character issues, but you deem them lovable. Mouthy, but lovable. Messy, but lovable. Hey, here we go. Pregnant, but lovable. Alternative life choice, mm. but lovable. Lazy, forgetful, but lovable and lovable. They may be a pain in your behind, an ache in your buttocks, an annoying throb in your gluteus, gluteus maximus. But whether they're a pain back there, an ache back there, or a throb back there, it doesn't matter, you deem them lovable. Perhaps they are in trouble a lot. That may be the case. But as you look at them, you deem them lovable. You must deem them lovable because the way you view them will dictate your patience towards them. And you need patience to raise ch children, family. Acknowledge it or not, if you lack patience with them, your heart will lean towards quitting on them. But do not quit on them. Loved ones, sometimes you are all that they have. Furthermore, never forget that our children are on their way to adulthood. Hey, they're not there yet. Sometimes we forget that we once walked in young shoes. Sometimes we forget that we were once a youth. I bet if I could take each and every one of you one by one and we just isolate you in a room and then we begin to bring in that room every single person who had anything to do with your upbringing, the people who raised you, the people who saw you going through grade school, the people that saw what you did in high school, the people that saw all the stuff that only now resides in your memory and in the memory of others. If we were able to take all of those people that helped raise and groom and impact you back then and put them in a room with you, <laughs> I bet we would hear a lot of stories about how you were just like the children that you point at today and call no good, that you point out today and call bad, that you point out today and call disrespectful, that you point out today and call knuckleheads and good for nothing. I bet we would hear stories about how you are very similar to those very children that you're pointing at. And if the child happens to be your biological child, I'd be willing to bet also that a lot of those stories will have words that sound like they act just like you did. Not similar, but just 
like you. And they would say those things and those things would be accurate because you were young then. The fact is, when you were a child, you spoke, thought, and reasoned like a child. Likewise, do not be surprised when your child displays childish tendencies or ways. As of right now, our children, they rarely comprehend the impact of their actions or inactions on the whole scheme of life. You, on the other hand, as the adult, a person who has lived and experienced, had ups and downs and gone through stuff, you've, you've, you've experienced more of this life, well, you have a much better idea of the impacts. But those children of ours, they do not know. In the book of Luke, while writing about the account of Jesus hanging on the cross, the author, Luke, of course, shares these words from Jesus, our Savior. Luke 23, verses 32 through 34, easy to read version. Leading into Jesus's words, it says, there were also two criminals led out with Jesus to be killed. They were led to, to a place called the skull. There, the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. They also nailed the criminals to crosses beside Jesus, one on the right and the other on the left. Verse 34 reads, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Family, Jesus looks at the people crucifying him and says, Father, forgive them. In other words, Father, although these people are inflicting pain on me, through all the pain that they've given me, I still deem them lovable. Through all the mistreatment they've shown me, I still deem them lovable. Through all the hatred they have expressed to me, I still deem them lovable. Through the faults they have, through the mistakes they've made, I still deem them lovable. Father, I still love them in spite of all of their errors, especially given I understand they really do not know what they are doing right now. Family, God is using us to guide our young people into adulthood. The previous session was specific to mothers. This session brings in all of us. God is using all of us to train up our children in the way they should go. And let me just be sure I do not, yeah, walk past this point. I have to say it. I cannot allow it to go unsaid. Loved ones, our reach does not, should not stop at the children under our respective roofs, so to speak. The children in your community, lovable. The children in your church, lovable. The children, if you are a coach on your soccer fields and baseball fields, lovable. The children on your football fields and basketball courts and volleyball courts, lovable. If you're a teacher, those children in your classroom, lovable. 
if you are a choir director, those children singing for you, lovable. In your art studios, in your sound booths, lovable. The young people that work for you in your business, lovable. Hey, the young people that just come and visit you at the house, lovable. Once more, I have heard people comment that our youth are going to hell in a handbasket. Well, if that's the case, family, that's on us. Our children may be in a basket, but that basket is in our hands. Thus, if that basket is going to hell, it is because we adults are the ones handing over our basket full of future to the devil to raise. Said bluntly, if our children are going to hell in a handbasket, then we are the ones sending them there. We have the ability, though, to change that narrative. Our children, they are the small big thing. And we need to give them the care and attention that they both deserve and want from us. We cannot allow this opportunity to go by and spend so much energy quote unquote, seeking what God wants me to do, seeking how God wants to use me, looking for the quote unquote, physically big thing and walk past the very important small big thing. Our children may be small in stature, but if you wanna impact the future in a big way, if you wanna impact the kingdom in a big way, turn your time and attention and affection to them. Help guide them, help train them. God was very specific today. His heart is locked in on making sure that we as a people, we think generationally and not just for the moment. We walk around and look at young people running around us and laughing and having fun. And we fail to realize that right before us is our very opportunity to reach the world. Right before us is the very opportunity to change the world. Right before us is the opportunity to make better things that are wrong. Right before us is the opportunity to begin right now seeding better choices that will eliminate generational curses. Oh, family, our children, they are the small big thing. And God wanted to make sure I let you know. I love you so much. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to come and hear from you. And so appreciate that you love us enough 
to raise up our children as a specific topic of interest right now, at this time, in this moment. I do not know who needs to hear it. I know it all benefits each of us to hear it. But the move of your spirit in me was so strong that I got to believe that somebody who's going to hear this is going to have their lives changed forever. Some parents' outlook on their child changed for the better. Some coach, some mentor, some teacher, mindset concerning children changed for the better. Some pastor, mind changed for the better. Some grandparent, some store owner. Minds concerning children changed for the better. And our children will reap the benefit of it. I pray that the power of you, God, rests on every word of this message. And it makes the necessary change. Oh, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.